want to welcome you guys all to our church today, Rock Fellowship. We're so glad that each and every one of you guys are joining with us today for worship, and uh, we're so thankful for our online audience, uh, whether you're watching from Port the Portland area, if you're in California like my mom, uh, or Arizona or Alaska, I want to welcome you guys to church. We're so honored to have this time with you guys, and we're, we're, we're so excited that we are here with one another. Uh, we are starting a brand new series uh, this week, and it is a, I'll be honest, a either five or six part series. I'm not sure. Um, I've been thinking about it and praying about it, trying to figure out what to talk about, and uh, this series, I feel like God gave me this series, but I'm not really sure how it's going to end. So maybe five weeks, maybe six weeks, but it is uh, a series that I'm really excited about, and I'm, I'm excited to share a lot of the things that I'm learning regarding this particular topic. The series is called, as you can see on the graphic, uh, Open-Handed. Open-Handed, Thinking, Speaking, and Acting Generously. Thinking, Speaking, and acting generously. So you know what this topic is about. This topic is about generosity. So for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be talking about generosity and about learning how to think, speak, and act generously. See, what I want to do is I want to move us from just acting generously because I know many of you, you have moments where you act generously. You give and you serve and you help here and there. You know, someone puts on a, a video that's sad enough, and you'll give to that cause. Someone makes you feel guilty enough, you'll give to that cause. But I'm not trying to get you to give to things here and there. I want us to cultivate a life of generosity, where we think, we speak, and we act generously. And I feel like the reason why uh, this is the series for the next five weeks, the reason why I feel like God wants us to talk about this is because in the world that we live in today, right? Like think about the world that we live in today with all the challenges, with all the issues, with, with economic uncertainty, with, with political problems, with divisions, which lack, with a lack of unity, with a lack of peace and anxiety, with all the stuff that's going on right now, I feel like generosity is like the one thing that is truly still a virtue. Right, that, that in so many ways you can do good things and people can question you and wonder and challenge you, but generosity still shines very brightly in our world today. You know, I feel like it's still this pure thing that we can, we can do. And you know, I feel like in our world right now, we don't need more information. We have a ton of information out there. On your, in your pockets, you have access to all the information you will ever need in your pocket in right, right now. We don't need more information. We don't need more compelling arguments. We don't need more persuasion. What we need is generosity. When you look at the issues we're facing, what do you think a spirit of generosity would do to our world today? If there was a revival or a wave of generosity flowing throughout people and cities and groups, what would happen if generosity really took hold of all of us? Man, we need uh, a world with more generosity, meaning we need a world with more people who are generous. And here's what I believe, and this is why we're talking about it. I believe strongly that the church should lead the way in generosity. The church in our world today needs to show everyone this is how to be generous. And the church, I think, has to be the first ones to do it. And that's why we're talking about this series, open-handed, thinking, speaking, and acting 
generously. Now, uh, some of you guys, you, you saw this on the screen, and you heard me say this series is about generosity, and some of you were like, oh, okay, I know what this is. This is like we're getting near the end of the year, right? We're in the fourth quarter, and you need to get our tithe and giving numbers up, right, Chris? Like, that, let's, let's be honest. I know what you're doing. You, you want us to give more money. Like, that, that's what you're talking about. And maybe if it, you, you have this sense that, you know, churches, they do this, and it appeals for money. And, like, what you have to understand is that's not what this is about. Now, there is a portion of the message we're going to be talking about finances and giving and, and your money and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and in all transparency, there is going to be a finance report today. <laughs> and it was uh, not planned, not correlated, okay? Like, just you got to trust me on that. That's not the thing, right? Like, the point of this is not to get our numbers up, is not to get more money in our account. It's not about that. It's about each and every one of us learning to think, speak, and act generously. So uh, that's kind of what we're going to be going, doing for the next five to six weeks. And let me just preview a little bit. Next week, the next two weeks, I think, are the most important messages of the whole series. So weeks two and three are the most important. So that's next week and the week after that. The reason why they're the most important is because they set the foundation. This is the next two weeks we're talking about thinking generously. How can we begin to think generously? Because I don't want you to be generous even though you don't want to. I don't want you to like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to give. I don't want to spend this time. I don't want to give that space. I don't want to give that grace. But Pastor Chris told me to, so I better do it. That's not what I want. I want you to learn to think generously, to change your perspective on what you have, what you have, and why you have what you have. Have you ever thought about not just what do I have, what do I possess, what do I own, how much do I have in my account? Have you ever thought, why do I have those things? Why do I have that? Why do I have this? So we want to learn to think, think, think generously. So the next two weeks are going to be focused on helping us to learn to think generously. And uh, next week, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about that message because what I'm going to share with you guys next week is even if you grew up in the church for a long time, you may not know what we're going to talk about next week. It may be an idea that you have heard, but you don't really know much about it. And if you didn't grow up in the church and this is your first time here, you definitely don't know about it. But here's the cool thing. When I share this thing with you, if you grew up in the church, I think the reaction is going to be, wow, I didn't know that. That is so cool that that's how God is. Right, so I think if you don't know it, you're going to be like, wow, this is a whole new side of God that I didn't know about, and it's awesome. And if you're a person who this is all new to you, and, and this is your first time at church, or you don't, you don't know, if, or, or you're in church, but you don't know if you believe in God, and you're not really sure if you're into this Jesus Bible church thing, and, and you're not really sure, or maybe you're you know, agnostic, or you're kind of going through things, trying to figure out questions. You know, if you're in that place, this next message is going to be really, really good for you, because I think what's going to happen at the end of the message is I present this, these concepts to you. In the end, you're going to say, you know, I don't know if I really believe in God, but if I did, I'd want it to be like that. If I did believe in God, that would be the kind of God that I would want to believe in. So next week, I'm super pumped about that. It's going to be really fun. I'm really excited. Now today, though, today is... Um, the first message of the series, and it's not necessarily an introduction, but we're going to be talking to the people in this room who do not want to hear a message about generosity. 
If you are like, oh gosh, a message about generosity, why did I come to church today? Or why am I watching online today? This is not the weekend I should have come. This message, today's message especially, is for you. But I'm also speaking to people who feel like in your life right now, you find yourself very irritable. You find yourself lacking peace. You find yourself feeling very anxious in life. You're feeling stressed out. If you're in that place, this message is for you. And I'm really, really thankful and I'm really, really glad that you're here. Because I feel like this can be very, very helpful to you. And it could really be a, a, a message that changes your experience in your everyday life. So, um, we have, uh, I'm excited about today's message, but I want to invite you guys to pray with me as we get into the rest of the talk. Your God, thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. Help us just to hear what we need to hear and see what we need to see and experience what we need to experience, Lord. Let me pray. Amen. So, um, some of you guys know I like to be very transparent when I preach, and I like to be honest about myself. I don't try to pretend to be someone I'm not up here, and I'll share my faults, and uh, I'm going to share a fault with you guys today. I'm going to start with this. And it's actually, sometimes I say that, and I'm like, okay, it's not really a fault. It's just like I'm trying to be funny. But today is really a fault, and it's something I'm actually embarrassed about, okay? And then some of you, when I say it, you're going to be like, are you serious, man? Are you seriously like that? Or some of you be like, you really need to change. And it is something I'm working on, okay? It is something I'm working on. But here it is. I am a notoriously bad tipper. I know, right? Like some of you are like, <laughs> you're like laughing, but you're like, that's not good. I am not a good tipper, and I'm working on it. Like, and I don't know if it was like the way I was raised. Like, you know, we didn't really tip much in my home, and it was always a dollar for the pizza delivery guy. Always a dollar. Always a dollar when you get a haircut, right? And so when people told me like, no, you need to tip more, I'm like, why? Right? They're just doing their job. You know, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But I've learned in my life that I am a very bad tipper. And it was, uh, it was one particular occasion where um, I ordered some food, and then the person who delivered it, like their car broke down, and they like walked to deliver my food. And then I gave them like two bucks. And then all my friends were like, you are terrible, Chris. You are horrible. Like, how can you be such a bad tipper? And I was like, oh, I didn't know. I thought two bucks was good. I usually give one dollar, but now I gave two. Double my tip. That's amazing, right? And I just realized, man, I really need to work on it. So it's something I'm working on. And I was like thinking about this idea because I, 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 I want to be generous. Like many people, like many of you, you probably want to be generous. But we have to acknowledge something. We have to acknowledge a truth that is uncomfortable for all of us. When you think and I think and all of us think about generosity, this is true. We know it's good to be generous, but not all of us are. Okay, let's just be honest. We know it's good. Pretty much everyone would be like, yes, it's a good thing to be generous, to give to others and, and all that stuff. But not, of, not all of us are. Now, if you are a generous person, you're like, yeah, I'm generous— you can kind of ignore what I'm going to say because this is not really for you because you're just like crushing it in that way. But for most people, we know generosity is good, but we're not that generous. Again, here and there, we'll give. If, if the, the person who's presenting and asks and they're compelling enough and persuasive enough and they touch, you know, play my heartstrings, I'll, I'll cut a check. If I feel bad enough, I'll give. 
And the reason why, let's be honest, the reason why it's hard to be generous is because sometimes it's painful to be generous. It hurts, right? It's you made money or you have this time and to give this away, it is painful. It doesn't feel good because you're like, ugh. Oh, I don't have that much. And the thing is, most of us want to be generous. You just feel like you can't be generous because you don't have enough. And that's fair. That's a fair way to think. I understand where that thinking is coming from. It is painful to be generous. And nobody likes to do anything that's painful, right? Like, why would we do stuff that is painful, Right? That's why we don't work out, because it's painful. That's why we don't do all the things. That's why we don't study what we need to, because it's painful. It doesn't feel good. So let's be honest. Even though we know it's good to be generous, oftentimes we are not because it is painful. So I'm going to get very real here, and I'm going to get very like practical. In, in, in a series of generosity, this is going to be a weird way to start, because when we talk about generosity, it's associated with kindness being selfless, being other-centered, caring about other people rather than ourselves. But I want to start with this message and this question when it comes to generosity. Because I know that we're real human beings with real issues and real hang-ups. So here's the question that we're going to answer today when it comes to generosity. What's in it for me? And I know you're like, that's a weird way to start a sermon about generosity. What do you mean, what's in it for me? That's like a weird thing to, t- to think about. Because when you are generous, you feel like you're supposed to be thinking about other people, not worried about what's in it for you. But today, what I want to do is I want to show you and present to you why it is in your best interest to be generous. Why it is a beneficial thing for you. Of course it's beneficial to other people and the people that you give, but for you individually as a human being living in 2021 today, why is it good for you to be generous? And even though that's a weird way to start a sermon series about like being generous and kind and selfless and stuff like that, what comforts me is if you look in the Bible, and you look at different verses about giving and generosity and what God says and what Jesus says, a lot of times it's connected to what you will receive in return. So it's not me that is the first person saying this. God in the Bible said, I want you to give because I want you to understand that if you give, there's a blessing that comes along with it. So here's a couple verses. I'm going to go through this really quick. And this is from the book of Proverbs. So the book of Proverbs was written by a king named Solomon who was considered one of the wisest kings and one of the wealthiest kings in Israelite history. Listen to what he says about generosity. He says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Like, look at my life. I got a ton. Look at, look at what, how I understand. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Then he says this in Proverbs 19. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, a financial term, is lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have have done. And then even later, Jesus himself comes onto this, comes to this world and he teaches about generosity and giving. And listen to what he says and how he says it and how he includes that there is something in it for you. He says, when you give to the needy, When you give to the need, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others, right? Like, don't give so that other people will think you're super kind and wonderful. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then, 
your father who sees what is done in secret, what will he do? He will reward you. So when God even talked about being generous, he's like, you got to know there's something in it for you. There is a benefit for you in your life to be generous. And so that's why I feel emboldened to be like, guys, it's okay to ask the question, what's in it for me? Because God says there is something in it for you. And I want to tell you guys about what that is today. Um, I want to look at a story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25. And uh, what you need to know about the book of 1 Samuel is 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are two books in the Bible that talk mainly about two people, the first two kings of Israel. The first guy's name was Saul. The second guy's name was David. And the story of 1 and 2 Samuel is just kind of like how the kings were and how it all got started. Now, there's a lot of drama in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Like, if you need something interesting to read and you want to see some drama, like, you don't need to go to Netflix, you go to 1 Samuel, okay? Because there's a ton of drama here. Because what happens is Saul, the first king, is, like, doing really well, and then he meets this young boy named David, and David is, like, awesome. And at first, Saul is like, dude, you are great. Like, I want to hire you. Come work for me. Come live at the kingdom and, and live in the capital and be with me and help me out. I'm going to make you a military officer. You're going to go and conquer all these people. Like, I heard you killed a giant. That's crazy. Come and let's, let's do it, right? Let's do this thing together. And then David is, like, extremely successful. And maybe some of you guys have experienced this where you had a boss who was threatened by your performance. So Saul is like, I love this guy, but... Why is he so good? I wish he would tone it down a little bit. And he became really famous and well-known. And he began to become really threatened by David. And eventually, he's like, I don't want this guy around me anymore. He makes me feel bad about myself. i got to get rid of him. So he starts to, he tries to get him killed. That's right, he tries to get him killed. And a lot of 1 Samuel, almost half the book, is David on the run, running away from Saul because Saul is trying to kill him. So the story that we're going to look at is when David is on the run, and he's running away, not by himself, but a group of people that are his, lo his loyal supporters, and they're trying to survive. They're like living in the mountains, they're like living in caves, and it's just like a terrible life. They've left their families, they've left their children, they're all on their own running for their lives. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 25, there is this story between David and a man that he meets. And it starts in verse 1 and verse 2. So let me read this. It says, A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He's talking to some random dude. He's very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. So uh, we, we know that there's this mysterious man who is very wealthy. Very wealthy. And the word used there for very is the same word in the creation story when God says it is very good. So it's like very, very. You know what I'm saying, right? Like this guy is really, really wealthy. And I know we don't know what thousand goats and three thousand sheep, what that means. I don't know what that means in terms of today's dollars, but it's a lot, all right? So this guy is very, very wealthy. We find out in a few verses later, his name is Nabal. Nabal. Can we all say Nabal? Nabal. All right. His name is Nabal. And Nabal had his, uh, his shepherds and his sheep and his goats out one time. And what you find out is that later on, you find out in the story that David actually helped him a lot. Now, the timing of the story is really important. In verse 4, it says, While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So this is really, really important. The timing of the story is important. What time is it? It's 
sheep shearing time. Now, sheep shearing time is everyone's favorite time of the year, okay? Sheep shearing time was everyone's favorite time of the year because it was about celebration. It was the time of the year where you sheared all your sheep, you got all the wool, and you got to see your harvest, essentially, with these sheep. You got to see how much you would have. So it is like the best time of the year. Oftentimes during sheep shearing time, they have celebrations and parties and feasts. And they're like, look at it. We did it. We hit our numbers. We hit our goals. We crushed it. Everyone's getting a bonus. It's like that time of year, right? It's like the time of year where you celebrate all that you made that year. It's the time of the year where you, where you, 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 you get to celebrate that, that all the work that you've done. It's, it's like when you got your Christmas bonus, right? Which I cannot relate to. Did you guys know that one year my Christmas bonus was a CD? One year that was my Christmas bonus. It was a CD. Anyway, um, so I can't relate to that. But it's like a wonderful time of the year. Everyone's super happy. And it's kind of the time of the year where like, you're kind of supposed to be generous because you have a lot. Right? So, so this is sheep shearing time. Nabal is like shearing his sheep, and he's having a party, and he's celebrating. So David hears that, oh, it's sheep shearing time. Okay. This is arguably Nabal's most wealthiest time of the year because he has the most. He has the most stuff. He has the most wool. Everything is right in front of him, and he's celebrating, and he's partying with his friends and his employees, and he's like, look what we got. We got so much stuff. And so in this moment, David, who's on the run, is like, let's reach out to Nabal. Maybe he can help us out. So in verse 5, the story says, so he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. So very, very proper, very polite. Now I hear Sorry, give me a second. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. You guys like how David like mentioned that? By the way, it's sheep shearing time, everyone's favorite time of the year. Uh, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. And he says to them even later, ask your servants. And they will tell you, therefore, be favorable towards me and my men, since we come at a festival time, at festive time, sheep-sharing time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So what David and his men did, remember, they were on the run. They were running for their lives. If they stayed in one spot too long, report would get to Saul that David and his men are there, and they could come attack and kill him. But during their journey, they meet Nabal's people and the, sh and the sheep and the goats, and they stay with them at the risk of their own lives. Very generous thing to do. They give up their time and energy. They, they, not only did they not mistreat the shepherds, not only did they not steal all the sheep and goat for themselves, which they totally could have done, they protected them from other people, from bandits and raiders and stuff like that. So they, like, really helped Nabal. You could even argue that Nabal would not have sheep shearing time if not for David. They were soldiers. His men were shepherds. They could have easily been like, hey, nice sheep. Those are ours now. Right? Like, they totally could have done that, but they didn't. They were kind and gracious and generous. So now they're simply asking, hey, Nabal, 
we're hungry. We've been in the wilderness. We haven't had anything to eat. Can you help us out? We need some stuff. And we, we hooked you up. We helped you a lot. Can you please? And this is a very normal thing to ask. In this day and age, in that culture, this was a normal transaction. And it was sheep sharing time, which is the time where you're supposed to be generous and kind and hospitable to people. And I want you to look at Nabal's response. He says, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? I don't know David. Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. So let me, let me break down what he's really saying. Because the truth is, he says, who is David? But in, the truth is, everybody knew who David was. Everyone knew who David was. David was a household name. He was famous. In the story before, kind of in the famous story that people know now, David killed Goliath. He killed a giant. Like, everybody knows who David is. So Nabal is not actually looking for information. He knows who David is. But he's saying, who's this guy? Who's this son of Jesse? What he's really saying is, who does David think he is that he can ask me for stuff? Who does he, this guy, who does he think he is? Many servants are running away from their masters. He's just like all those rebellious, bad punks that I hate. I've had servants like that. They worked for me and they ran away and took my stuff. He's just like one of those guys. He's no anointed one. He's not going to be king. He's just another punk. Who's David? I'm not going to help this guy out. So he's this very unkind person. His response was extremely unkind, ungenerous, harsh. But then you find out in the story that basically this is how Nabal is. Like, this is no surprise to anyone. In fact, earlier in the story in verse 3, the, the story introduces him. It says his name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and a beautiful woman, but her husband was surly, which just kind of means crude and mean in all his dealings. He was crude. He was cruel. He was mean. He was a jerk in what, of his, what dealings? All his dealings. This was his whole life. To his family, he was crude and mean and unkind. To his wife, who was intelligent and beautiful, he was cruel and mean and unkind and disrespectful. To his employees, to his friends, this is who Nabal was. To everyone, he was, he was this greedy man who saw others as, as things he could use for himself. He only thought about himself. He was cruel and mean and unkind and ungenerous to all the people in his life. And I know none of you want to be like that, right? No one is like, I want to be like Nabal. Nobody wants to be like Nabal. But I have to ask you a question. Do we have moments where we are just like Nabal? Do we have cruel moments? Do we have unkind? Do we often have seasons of life where we are impatient and judgmental to others? Do we condemn people? Are there times, and I'm going to get real, real for myself, where I am unkind even to my own children? 
do I sometimes give my own family less grace than I would give other people? Are there times where I am irritable and short and I think about only myself? And honestly, that, that's probably all of us, right? We all have some navel in, of a, in, in us, some more than others. And so here's the question, the uncomfortable question I have to ask all of us here in this room. Is the reason why navel is like that the same reason why I am like that? Now, we don't know what that reason is, but we're going to get to them. That's the main point of today's message. Is the reason why navel is like that the same reason I am? like that? And the answer is maybe. And that's what I'm asking you guys to do as we talk about this. I want you to think about that question. When I have my cruel moments, when I have my unkind moments, when I have my, my, my judgmental thoughts, when I have my times where I only think about myself, what's going on is the reason I'm like that, the same reason why Nabal was acting like that. Later in the story, Nabal continues to respond to David, and the way he responds shows us why Nabal was like that. Why Nabal was so cruel, crude, unkind, mean. And so after he says to David, who's David? Who's this guy? I'm not going to help this guy. This is what he says in verse 11. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? My bread, my water, my meat. My, 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 mine, mine, my stuff. See, Nabal looked at all his things and he says, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. Whose is it? Mine. Is it yours? No, it's mine, right? This is how Nabal lived his life. Everything was his. Everything was mine. And I know our young families with young children, you're like, amen. I see that every day at home. My kids, my, 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 my. The thing is, Nabal has forgotten one of the most basic teachings of his faith. He's a Jewish person, Israelite person. In the Hebrew faith, one of the most basic teachings that all of them understood was this teaching from Deuteronomy chapter 10. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14. Everything is not yours. Who is it? It's God's. And listen to what he says. For those of you who are like, wait, 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 but I worked, I worked, it was my job, it was my effort that got, got me my stuff. And that's maybe what Nabal said. Yes, okay, I know everything is God, but I'm the one who did it. Listen to what Deuteronomy says in chapter 8. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He's like, everything is God. If not for God, you would not have your wealth. You're a farmer and yes, you have a great crop, but who made the crops grow? Who brought the sun? Who brought the rain? God did, not you. But Nabal is like, my bread, my water, my meat. You see, the reason why Nabal was the way he was and the reason why maybe some of us oftentimes can find ourselves being like Nabal with our money, with our time, with our energy, with our compassion, 
It may be the same thing. What it is is an ungenerous spirit. An ungenerous spirit. The ungenerous spirit in Nabal. The way he viewed all his stuff and what he has, what he has, and why he has what he has, that made him to be this cruel, crude, surly, unkind, mean person. Because everything was his. You know, but we understand that generosity, like we said, is a good thing. We all think it's good to be generous. In fact, what I want you to understand is what Jesus says here, okay? And if that's your thinking, if your thinking is my, 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 this is my stuff, this is my job, I did it all, like I understand where you're coming from. But we have to understand where is that going to lead us? What is that doing to our character? What is that doing to our perspective? What is that doing to our our attitudes. Jesus said this in Acts chapter 20. He didn't say in Acts, but he's quoted as saying the most famous probably saying on giving, right, and generosity. You guys know this. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. Do you really believe that? Well, come on. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that it's better to give than to receive? And we're like, uh, yeah, I guess. I know it's better to give than to receive. But here's what I want us to do right now for the remainder part of this message. So it's just a little bit more. I just want you to stay with me. We're going to look to see what's in it for you. For Nabal, he was like, I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm going to be an ungenerous man and all that kind of stuff. And the, his life was a reflection of that ungenerous spirit. If that's not what you want for you, I want to share with you what's in it for you if you learn to think, speak, and act generously. Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. The word that he uses for blessed is the word makarios, which you don't have to remember. But what you do have to remember that another way to translate the word blessed or makarios is Happy. Happy. So in other words, what Jesus is saying, it is a happier way to live. It is a happier life if you give rather than receive. You are happier in your life if you live a life of giving more than a life of getting. And this is what he's talking about, that the happy, a happy life is a result of generosity, not a result of accumulation. Nabal clearly was not happy in life. Yeah, maybe he was celebrating because he had a banner year, but he lacked peace. He lacked healthy relationships. He lacked purpose and meaning. Jesus says, if you want a happy life, focus on giving, not getting. But again, do we believe that? Like, do we believe that on an everyday basis? Maybe on Saturday, when you go to church and you hear messages like that, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But what about tomorrow? What about Wednesday and Thursday? Do we believe that? But what's so cool, and this is like, this is so awesome. What we're finding out is that Jesus was totally right. And here's what I mean. There was a, a research project sponsored by the University of Notre Dame. And the, the project was called the Science of Generosity Initiative. 
So they, they sponsored two researchers to seek and understand generosity from a scientific and sociological level. So they did this big research. It took like five years where they interviewed thousands of people and got all this information. And, this, and they compiled all this stuff and they wrote a book called The Paradox of Generosity. And I'm going to share with you just like the main point and the key finding here, okay? And this is so cool, okay? Listen to what their results were. These two researchers from, from Notre Dame. It says, for people who want to be happy, which I'm assuming is everyone, right? Everyone here, everyone out there, everyone wants to be happy. For people who want to be happy, to enjoy health, to lead purposeful lives, which we assume includes nearly everyone, this paradox of generosity is important to understand. It tells us that we ought not simply work to acquire, to accumulate, to save, to grasp, and keep, and spend for ourselves, we need to learn to share our resources generally, generously with others. Then, in turn, we will likely find ourselves happier, healthier, and more purposeful in life. And this is the coolest line of the quote. The data examined here show this to be not simply a nice idea, but a social scientific And this is what they said. People rightly say, people rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are still related in a curious way. Happiness can be the result not of spending more money on oneself, but rather of giving money away to others. So in a way, money can buy happiness when that money is used to bless and help other people. So what's in it for you? A happy life. And isn't that what we all want? Like social science, research, and Jesus are telling us that if you want to be happy in life, if you want to be blessed in life, give, give, give. And again, we're not just talking about money here. We're talking about all kinds of things. Giving of yourself, giving of your time, giving of your energy, giving of your love and compassion and grace. And we're going to be talking about the different facets of, facets of generosity through the next five weeks and how we can do that. But this is what's in it for you. Yeah, I know that giving can be painful. I know that being generous can be painful. And I know that sometimes we don't want to do it. But what's in it for you is the happiness that Jesus wants for you in your life. It's the happiness that your heavenly Father wants you to have and experience in your everyday life. That's what's in it for you. So that's why we're studying this idea of generosity. And this is where we begin. Now, like I said, next week we're going to go into some deeper stuff that are going to help us to begin by thinking generously. What's the way I need to think to begin to think generously. Now, as we close, I, I just, I, I want to share kind of this little analogy that I've done before in this church, and I just like, I just think it's such a great way to, to bring the home, bring the point home. The series is called Open-Handed, and maybe you're like, what does that even mean? So, I want to, 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 uh, to bear with me and just try an exercise really quick. Everyone, I want you to clench your fists tight. See, another way to understand the word generosity, another syn a synonym of generosity, is tight-fisted. Tight. As tight as you can. This feeling right, th right here 
This is how some of us live our lives. We live tight-fisted. And in this mode and this life and culture of tight-fistedness, there's tension, isn't there? There's a lack of peace in my fists, isn't there? It is hard. How long? Are you getting tired, right? You guys are already getting tired. I can see you. I'm getting tired. I want to stop doing this. It's hard to live like this. But Jesus says, open your hand. Everyone open your hand. How's that feel? Way better, doesn't it? There's peace. I'm relaxed. I feel good. This is how God wants you to live. This is how he wants you to feel in your life. And this is why he says, be generous. This is why we're saying, let's live a life of being open-handed. That's where this series is coming from. To learn to think, speak, and act generously. To live life open-handed. And for me, one of the big things is not just you as individuals learning to live generously. Like I said, I think the church needs to lead the way. The church needs to lead the way in generosity. And so I was talking with our, our children's ministry director. Today there's an activity for our children's ministry. If you guys didn't know about it, you know, we're inviting you. We're going apple picking, all right? We're going down to Salem, and we're going to pick apples. And so normally, we were going to go do this, and everyone kind of like reserved buckets, and you're going to pick apples, and you're going to go home and eat your apples and make pie or whatever you do. I'm not going to make pie because I can't bake. It's horrible. Um, so we're going to go, and we're going to get these buckets of apples. We're going to take it home and enjoy the apples. But we talked about it today, and we're going to change it up a little bit. For children's ministry, you may not know what we're going to do. But what's going to happen is for every group that goes apple picking today, the church is going to sponsor one extra bucket for you. Now, you don't have to pay for it. The church is going to pay for one extra bucket. And we want you as our children's ministry from our lowest, from our youngest children to pick one extra bucket of apples. We're going to pay for that. And then when you go home, you find someone in your neighborhood to give those apples to. Go to your neighbor. Go to that person who lives alone. Go to that family, whoever. You as a family can think about who should we give these apples to? Who can we be generous to? See, we need to lead the way in generosity. And we're going to start today with our youngest ministry, our children's ministry. We're going to be practicing generosity. The church wants to support that and sponsor that and do all we can to encourage each and every one of you to live a life of open-handedness. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm really excited. I'm really excited about that. It's an opportunity for us to teach our children, hey, let's be generous, and the church wants to help you be generous in your life. We ha- there's a ton that's in it for us. So I hope that as you walk away from this place, you may have a moment where you begin to think and speak and act a little bit more generously in your life. But again, this is not it, right? We've got to go through this whole study of generosity to really begin to learn to become generous people, to become open-handed people. So I want to invite you guys all back for that next week as we continue to explore this idea and as, as we allow God to change our hearts to becoming from tight-fisted people, we're hanging on, my, 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 to generosity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, God, for each person in this room, and thank you, Lord, for this message. It's challenging because we're talking about things that are very personal to people. We're talking about their wallets. We're talking about their bank accounts. We're talking about their precious, precious time. We're talking about their emotional headspace. We're talking about mental real estate to think and care about other people. Like, it's hard to do that, Father. 
But God, what we're praying for is something to, to change in this place, Father, that we could be people who lead the way in generosity for others, that we could be a people, that we could be a church where people look at us and say, man, those people are so generous, I want to be generous too. So Father, as we explore this idea of being open-handed and living life in this way, God, I pray that you would, um, you would stir in us something and you would help us to realize that maybe the issues in my life the bad relationships I have, the, the, short-tempered, the short temper that I have, the irritability that I have, the lack of peace I have, maybe it's coming from a place of, un, of an ungenerous spirit, Lord. And Father, if that's the case, Lord, you've given us the antidote today. You've given us the treatment today. Help us to live and learn to be generous, Father. In your name we pray.